Welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News, and Views. The place for pets and the people who love them. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Here are your hosts, practicing veterinarians, Dr. Roger Welton and Dr. Karen Lewis. Hey, everybody. It's Dr. Karen Lewis along with Dr. Roger Welton. We are alive. <laughs> you might be shocked. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views. You're like, what show am I listening to? I don't even know. She's horrible at introductions. Anyway, Dr. Roger, you live. How are you? Yes, we're both alive and well, and it, it, it's definitely really nice to talk to you again. You know, it, we are practicing veterinarians after all, and it, I think it's part of the authenticity of our show. So I think I'm ever we'll the, call it that. Yeah, I, I'm ever the, I'm ever the optimist. If if you know me, I'm what's called a yellow personality, and uh, I think that our 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 listeners appreciate the authenticity, and because of that, they appreciate the fact that our veterinary lives, you know, take us away from the show occasionally. <laughs> so, but we have an awesome topic tonight. It was your idea. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, so actually I just wrote a blog article. It went out this morning uh, on uh, ACL, CCL tears, cruciate injuries, whatever you want to call it. Um, we'll delve into what all that alphabet suit means. But uh, the main thing that I started with that I think people need to realize is, and I we both hear this all the time, veterinarians across the country hear this, your dog walks out the door to go pee, chases a squirrel, whatever, comes back in limping. Everybody who calls me says, Doc, I think he hurt his hip. You get that too, don't you? The hip, the hip, the hip, the hip, and the hip some more. Absolutely. I'm like, I'm like, the hips do lie, is what I tell people. I'm like, because it's, I won't say it's never the hip. 99.9% of the time, it's not the hip, it's the knee. And when I tell people that, they're like, whoa, because everyone hears all about big, bad hip dysplasia. Everybody talks about that. And yes, hip dysplasia sucks. Um, but hip dysplasia is more of a slow, smoldering, arthritic change. It's not a boom, all of a sudden my dog's limping. So uh, today we're going to talk about the knee and the ligament inside the knee that actually tears and causes the limping and what is actually a million dollar industry in fixing, just fixing this one ligament, this one ligament in dog's knees. Probably a billion dollar industry. It's amazing. It's such a common injury. I would agree. It could be in the billions. I'd like to quantify that at some point because yeah, I, I should, see, I should have looked that up in advance. If I was smart, I would have. I uh, know, but, but hey, listen, we're know. just lucky to be on the air right now. So <laughs> let, let's let's just count our blessings. <laughs> so I will quantify this for you. In my little old practice alone, uh, we repair three to four of these a month between the two doctors that that do the surgery. So you're looking at 36 to 48 of them a year, and if you do the math at around 2,500 each, and there's a lot of practices like mine, all right, um, I can name four alone within an eight-mile radius that are doing the same thing. Uh, you know, that, that adds up. Uh-huh. Mo- most certainly, it's such a common injury. Uh, so I think the first thing we should do before we delve into it is just explain what is a cruciate ligament? Um, in the, in people, it's called the anterior cruciate ligament, or ACL. Everybody, most people are familiar with Tom Brady, especially after that Super Bowl performance that defied reality. There was a point in his career I'm where he... i bad about his, that, by the way, but okay, that? go on. 
I'm still mad about that, by the way, but we'll we'll digress. You know, I'm not a fan. However, <laughs> I cannot deny that was amazing, and he's amazing, and he blew his ACL out pretty pretty badly, and um, well, pretty badly. It was, it was completely blown. Doesn't get any worse than that. It's ha, a common sports good. injury. He deserves it. What's yeah. that? <laughs> I said good. He deserves it. <laughs> <laughs> that was before he committed the sin of dis- deflating balls, but not oh. a football show. <laughs> um, so he tore his ACL, and, and you hear about it all the time. I have at least five friends as a lacrosse player and former football player uh, that have torn their ACLs. It happens all the time. Well, dogs do it simply not playing sports. They actually injure it more commonly. <clears throat> I don't know how statistically, <coughs> pardon me, more commonly than people, but it happens a lot. And let's talk about, you know, I'll let you kind of dive in because you just wrote the article. What is, what is, why is it called a cruciate ligament and what is it? What does it do? Yeah, so it's um, it's a, it's a tiny little ligament. It's actually inside the knee, and it's it's amazing how this one little ligament can do so much, and when it tears, cause such chaos. But the word cruciate means cross, and so you need two lines to make a cross. So there's actually two cruciate ligaments in the knee, and when I say it's inside the knee, so if you go back to high school anatomy, or I don't know, first grade anatomy, depending on how advanced we get here, but so your thigh bone is your femur, your shin bone is your tibia, and to grossly oversimplify this, your knee is in between those two bones. So if you stack those two bones on top of each other, like you're standing with your thigh bone or your femur on top and your tibia or your shin bone on the bottom, inside that, between those two, where those two bones touch, is where the two cruciate ligaments live. I'll go into more about that in a minute, but there's also two menisci, or singular is meniscus. And those are like little pillows that live basically cushioning between these two bones because you don't want two bones on top of each other, crunch, crunch, crunch. When you walk, that wouldn't work. So the meniscus is the cushion. What the ligaments do is they actually form a cross. So one goes from the front of the femur to the back of the tibia, and the other one goes from the back of the femur to the front of the tibia. So each one connects thigh bone to shin bone at an angle, and if you look at it from the side, they would make an X. So, hence the cruciate name. The one that tears, and honestly, I've never heard of a caudal cruciate ligament tear. It's always the cranial cruciate ligament, you know. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Um, that, so, in people, that would be the PCL, posterior cruciate. Right. You hear about that all right. the time. Um, even if they do tear their PCL, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why we don't even look at it. <laughs> it's so it's so underrated. It's just yeah. yeah. Well, it's not clinically relevant because dogs stand on their tippy toes with their heels up in the air, mm-hmm. and their hips are flexed and their knees are partially flexed. So there's really very little stress on that PCL. So yeah, you could probably pull it with your hands and feel some instability, but it's not relevant when they step. So we don't really worry about it. Right. Yeah. Where the ACL, what what this ligament does is if you imagine like a person standing with your thigh bone on top of your shin bone and if your ACL is broken or torn, what happens is your shin bone can slide around under your thigh bone and it slides around almost like they call it a drawer motion. Imagine if you were taking your tibia and sliding it forward like you're opening a dresser drawer. That's what it does. And so you can imagine over time you get all this all this instability and all this bone-on-bone rubbing of this tibia flopping against this femur all the time. And that's what causes the pain and the arthritis and all the problems we have if we don't address it. So, I don't know. Without pictures, it's hard to explain. I don't know if you can add anything to that, Dr. Roger, to make it 
Yeah, well, I'm, what I'm going to do, I'm, I'm going to post, um, when we when we um, air this episode tomorrow morning, I'm going to post your article and my article. I have diagrams on my, I'm not sure, if, you know, uh, what angle you came at. Of course, I come I come from it always from its boring clinical angle. Yours always has like its nice spicy little cutesy thing <laughs> that, that's very entertaining. But I don't have pictures this time though, so uh-huh. I don't have diagrams, so a diagram would be very helpful on this one. Yeah, certainly. So I would enjoy both articles. I think you'll get, you'll have more fun with hers. Um, you can maybe picture some of this in your brain by seeing the diagrams on mine. You know, I do find your articles more fun. I do. Oh, well, I'm <laughs> so, more fun. What can I say? <laughs> that's okay. Um, it's funny. My, my, my personality is not as dry as my articles are. <laughs> but I, I don't know. Like I suddenly go through a personality change unless I'm ranting. When I'm ranting, oh, oh your still... rants are priceless. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. When I, think we, I think we, I think we met via one of my rants. I'm pretty sure. Um, so yeah, so the the diagrams are there, and and I I would encourage you to click on the links, look at the articles, and, and certainly uh, try to picture this all in your head. But very very serious injury because you know I I have a very significant integrative component to my practice. I do a lot of therapy, laser acupuncture, uh, pulse ultrasound therapy. Nutraceutical therapy, all this stuff that is alternative, that works. Um, and, and so I have a name for that in the community. And so people will come to me with these ACL tears, you know, wondering if they could laser their way out of it. And I tell them, look, you know, I appreciate the fact that you're looking for an alternative approach. It's less invasive. And I, 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 got, I get that. But in rehabilitative medicine, we, there's a saying, if it's unstable, go to the table. And, you know, you're, there's nothing you'll ever do to stop that stability and, and the constant breakdown of that joint. And, of course, there's the medial meniscus. You brought up the menisci. Thank you for that. So important because the medial meniscus very commonly is torn as well. We commonly see what are called bucket tears in those. And these are some pretty deep tears. I had one the other day that wasn't torn. It was shredded. I opened up this knee and this thing just went blah, just kind of vomited out at me. I had to do a complete meniscectomy, meaning remove the entire meniscus. It was just not salvageable. And that causes a lot of the pain that we're seeing with these injuries. And I'm sure anybody listening can talk to a person who's torn just their meniscus, not their ACL, but just their meniscus and knows that how painful that can be alone. Uh, what I find is that when I get in these knees... I'm actually surprised if I don't find a torn meniscus. I'm expecting it. I see them in about 80 to 90% of the ones that I open up. So another big component that needs to be addressed as well. Yeah, and I think, um, well, when we're diagnosing the torn ACL and we're um, what we're doing is they're always sedated and we're feeling for that drawer motion I was talking about, there's also something else we look for called a, or listen for, called a meniscal click. And that's what will bend the leg a certain way and it'll actually make a clicking noise and um, I'm, I think every vet like makes the same face when they hear that because they're like, ooh, you yeah. know, yeah, you cringy know face. And all the text, yeah, like, cr- cringy ooh. faces. Thank God this yeah. dog is sedated. <laughs> I know. It's like, stop Poor doing thing. that. And then, everybody, then everybody, everybody wants to do it, though. It's kind of fun. So, um, yeah, so uh, anyway, so the way we diagnose these, like I said, is um, the dog has to be sedated because when it's awake, well, first of all, it's painful and it's it's very tense because it hurts. And so it's not going to let you go flopping it around and making it meniscal click and all that stuff. So when it's sedated, we feel for all these telltale motions. We always get x-rays and I always tell people the ligament is not going to show up on the x-ray. Okay. The x-rays are basically for surgery. So we can know what we're up against. Is there anything else going on in the knee? Cause you don't want to be cutting open a knee and get a surprise. You want to have x-rays first, but the big part of the x-rays under sedation is the sedation part. And a lot of people think the x-rays are important. So I always have to emphasize that too. Um, 
But so once they're sedated and we get the diagnosis with the, um, I have some knees that are real loose and I call them like flapping in the breeze. Um, <laughs> and then I have other knees that I'm like, well, you know, maybe the ACL isn't torn all the way. Maybe it's just partial. So um, do you do surgery on your partial tears or do you only do them on the full tears? I Well, it depends. All different dogs present differently. Um, I, I think if I suspect a partial, I will de- definitely, if they're not terribly lame and having a poor quality of life, I will give them a shot at some anti-inflammatory strict rest, good joint chews, weight control, because a lot of these dogs are fat that tear their ACL. Uh-huh. Um, more commonly, they're overweight than not. Um, so we give them a shot, and if they rela- remain lame uh, beyond two to three weeks, then I go in. Because there's probably, uh, my th- thought process is yeah, there might be a partial tear of the, of, of the cruise ship, but there's probably a meniscus that's complicating that. Right. And even though the partial tear, it's still, you still have instability. It's still not a normal knee. No, you it's, know? it's not a so, good play, sure. So I used to, I have an interesting, I don't know if I told you this story before. Um, back in the day, because I'm officially old, I can say this now. Um, but day. Yes, in the early 2000s. Um, <laughs> I would diagnose these partial tears, and the dogs are painful, you know, and the owners are like, this dog isn't loving life. So I would send them over to the specialist. This is before we had the traveling specialist. And um, I had send them over for ACL repair. And they would always get sent back to me. Like, nope, we don't cut partial tears. And after, after I sent like three, I was like, okay, I'm going to stop wasting people's time. Yeah. <laughs> then I'm sure they, they hit them up with a consult like, fee. <laughs> yeah, well. I'm like, but, but really? <laughs> so anyway, um, then 2008 happened. And the economy tanked. And all the surgery specialists had a lot less surgery. Oh, yes. They were Guess who started cutting every partial tear? You? Not that I'm cynical. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm like, so I would send these people, and then I'm like, what? what? Whoa, 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 whoa. They did surgery? What uh-huh. do you mean? They used, you know? So that, that, of course, is my very, very cynical and partially sarcastic outlook. I think there actually have been studies that show that if the knee isn't stable and it's a partial tear, why let it develop arthritis for two years before it tears all the way, which is kind of inevitable, mm-hmm. <laughs> and do surgery then? We can do surgery earlier and have a stable knee all those years. So that is the science behind it. It's just that the timing of it was a little ironic, shall I say. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but nowadays, anybody with a – if it's a partial tear that's like barely, the dog does – well, you know, I, I don't – recommend surgery on those but the ones that the dog's just painful i'm like yeah because you know what dogs who rupture one ligament are very statistically likely to rupture the ligament in the other knee so let's while you have one good leg to stand on let's fix the jacked up knee before you tear out the other knee yeah the statistic is um last i saw was 80 percent within one year's time will tear the contralateral knee so yeah, yes. which means the other side. I'll translate. Oh yeah, but, again, dry clinical. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, and I when I back when I used to do these surgeries, I'd have owners come in like the hair from the shaved leg from the other surgery hasn't even grown in yet. Yep. And they've torn the other one, mm-hmm. and they're like, seriously? Like, could yeah. we at least have one? You know, I mean, I, I always felt so bad for those people. I was like, I'm really sorry. Yeah, I definitely and then, have them prepare. You know, the eighty percent. That's yeah. Oh, and now every ACL tear, I'm like, I'm just going to ruin your whole day and tell you all this bad stuff now. Right. And the one, my one client a couple weeks ago was like, she looked at me and said, I used to like you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, nice. Sorry, doom and gloom. But, um, 
but no, yeah, and it sucks. And I tell you, I tell people consider yourself lucky if they don't tear the other leg, you know. But extremely lucky. And as you touched on before, weight control is huge. Yeah, because so many of these dogs are obese, and that's that much more weight you're putting on that poor tiny little ligament. Yeah. So I'm like, just get the weight off your dog. That'll save you thousands potentially. So. Yeah, and so another predisposing. So we're, since we're talking predisposing factors, yes, obesity, 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 and more obesity. Um, almost always a chubby dog, but I actually just had a uh, bulldog, um, not a not overweight bulldog. Can you picture that? It, they exist. Oh, I didn't know those existed. They, they exist. What? Yes, sweetheart <laughs> of a dog. Uh, she blew hers out chasing a squirrel. Of all things, of oh, course, yes. you know that's our most common, one of our more common stories. Um, she's doing great. I just actually saw her recheck today. The timing was weird. Um, and she's she's doing fantastic. She two weeks postoperatively, she is no more painful than she was before the surgery, which is wonderful. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. They 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 bounce back pretty quickly. It's 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 the little foo foo dogs that are challenging because they're like not going to use the knee, won't use the knee, can't make me use the knee. Those are challenging yeah. because somehow you got to get them to use the knee. But that's a whole other discussion. Um, so the other predisposing factor, though, some of these dogs, and it's very common in our lab, our Labrador retrievers, golden retrievers. Rottweilers, Dobermans, um, they're born with this um, steepness of the top of the shin bone called the tibial plateau, which naturally makes that bone want to jut forward when they step a lot more radically uh, than if they were born with a normal plateau. And so a couple of the repairs that we'll discuss are geared towards leveling out the steepness of that plateau and you know, we'll get a little bit more into that in just a moment. But um, oh, can I translate real quick? The yeah. tibial plateau is the top of the shin bone, the flat part that the thigh bone rests on. Just I think I kind of said that. At oh, okay. First. I'm trying to break it down. <laughs> I, <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, so so uh, you know, <laughs> never mind. I was just going to bring up something. I'm political. slow today too. I'm not going to so do it. Um, so uh, the. Yeah, so so we'll we'll get into you know its role and how that plays you know surgically, and and why it may in, actually influence some of the decisions that we make in terms of how we choose to fix these things. So you suspect that your dog's got an ACL or CCL tear. I say ACL a lot just so people understand it, um, and you now want to be presented with options. Well, there's a few options, and uh, there's there's three major procedures that we're looking at to fix this thing. And uh, let's, I guess, let's talk about first one that came out of an institution near you, University of Missouri, called the tightrope. Um, you want to get into that a little bit? Yeah, that's ironic. So <laughs> we were talking about this, and yeah, they, um, the first of all, it's such a common injury that needs surgery. So there's a lot of people who are out there to make their own little flavor of surgery, you know. Because there's a million different surgeries out there because it's like, oh, well, I'll have my spin on it. I'll get my claim to fame because it's a surgery that you can do all the time and it's really common. So anyway, um, yeah, the tightrope came out of the University of Missouri. And the ironic thing is um, me practicing near St. Louis, which is like two hours away from there, I don't know a whole lot of vets that do tightrope. And then I'm talking to you, Dr. Roger, and you're like, I'm in the forward and I do tightrope. And I'm like, really? Huh. Because <laughs> none of the locals, it, it's weird. Maybe it's just my personal clique of people doesn't do it. Maybe I'm not in the right clique. I don't know. Um, yeah, you're you're in tightrope country there. I mean, I know, Dr. but James we're Cook. TPLOs are what everybody yeah. does here. Um, 
there's there's one traveling surgeon who prefers the TTA, and we'll talk about what the well, alphabet suit means in a minute. But um, no, around here, I'm in TPLO land, which uh, stands for tibial plateau leveling oste- osteotomy, which is a very long way of saying basically you um, slice, for lack of a better term, the tibia or the shin bone, and you actually plate the bones. You actually have a bone plate in there now because you actually kind of have a broken bone that you're waiting to heal. And um, basically it changes the um, the forces. That, and you can explain this better than I can, Dr. Roger. But um, it basically gives the that tibial plateau like more more space and less force on it. So there's less sliding from the thigh bone to the shin bone. Anyway, but um, around here that's what we see more. But you are in tightrope land down in Florida. Well, we see, we see, so um, uh, let's just kind of, you know, let's gloss over each procedure. And I, I do know quite a few vets that do tightrope or variations of it. It's the Arthrex stabilization system. So there's a few different ones that, that are being used. I, there's one called the corkscrew for smaller dogs and one called the tightrope. But it's all based on the same premise of uh, drilling holes in the bone and running a suture through it that comes down the lateral or uh, towards the outside portion of the joint and provides stabilization because it now prevents that tibia from jutting forward when the dog steps. The TPLO that Dr. Karen just discussed, she talked about cutting the bone, rotating it, changing the angle of that tibial plateau, and now, you know, what we're creating there is we're actually not fixating anything. We're not providing any stabilization after those surgeries, you can actually grab that knee, and there's still instability when the dog's at rest. However, when they step, instead of having a forward or shear force, changing the angle of that tibia creates a compression force that goes up towards the thigh bone. Um, it basically takes away, from a physics standpoint, the necessity for a cruciate ligament. And TTA... Um, another bone cutting procedure where you're actually just advancing the front of the tibia called the tibial tuberosity. You're actually just cutting it, moving it forward, putting a spacer in there. The, the best way to describe this one is you're taking um, a, a, a steep ramp and by lengthening the ramp, you're taking the steepness out of it by making it longer. And again, you're creating more of a compressive force and taking away the necessity for the ligament. Um, so one one procedure of the tightrope is actually physically stabilizing the leg by placing a 250-pound tensile-strength suture. The other two are changing the physics of the leg via bone cutting and plating and taking away the necessity for the ligament. Does that pretty much sum it up pretty decently? Yeah, yeah. Because basically, it's not about replacing. Because in people, they want to replace the actual ligament, but in dogs, it's just about making it where the bones don't slide against each other, whatever way you can to do that. You know, however you can change those forces. And um, when I was in vet school, the TPLO is relatively new, and I remember learning about it in school. And they were like, "So there's this crazy procedure that it doesn't involve any stabilization, and it blows everybody's mind, but yet it works really well." And that's kind of how our professor explained it. We were like, "Well, that sounds..." Fishy, but yeah. um, but the dogs do well. So um, in vet school, we were actually taught a procedure that not a whole lot of people do anymore, and that's the lateral fibeller suture, um, which I know you don't like. No, I saw I, your face. I loathe you it. Hate it. Um, you <laughs> I know, know. I, I did it in the past as you know an only option 
Not an only right. Yeah, because that was pre-TPLO. TPLO just was like brought over. It came over from Europe, actually. So I was just leaving University of Illinois when the first resident who actually was a, a resident from Germany who came, came over and was doing that. Um, so not very many people were doing it. Right. So yeah, that it was, was really was just, the main procedure. Hmm. Yeah, because we were in vet school and like TPLO was like the new hot thing. So yep. before that, we had lateral fibular suture, which is what I did when I um when I first graduated. I was, you know, this new grad working in this practice and my boss was like, I hate cutting knees. You're going to cut all the knees. So I cut a lot of knees because <laughs> I had to. And the way we did it, the procedure at the time was called a lateral fibular suture. And that actually is one that does involve kind of simul- simulating the, the ligament. You're not actually putting a ligament inside the knee, but you're taking basically fishing line uh, and anchoring it uh, to a bone. There's a tiny little like piece, say two pair of P-shaped bones kind of behind the knee. And then you actually drill a hole through the tibia and go around and make a loop and basically, on the outside of the knee, you're forming with this fishing line a loop that basically mimics what the cruciate ligament would do. It's parallel to the way the cruciate ligament runs. And um, you still have to open up the knee joint and go in there, clean out the nasty old cruciate ligament that's kind of flapping around in the breeze, repair the meniscus, or remove it, you know, like we all were talking about doing. Mm-hmm. So um, the problem is this surgery does not work well at all for big, big dogs. Because it's a fishing line that you're asking to hold this huge 90-pound dog weight. So um, that's why when the TPLO came out, everyone was like, yes, for these huge dogs, we have an option. Because some of these dogs would bust that fishing line and have, you know, $2,500 later, a knee that sucks just as bad as it did before. <laughs> you know, and that's not the point. So um, for little dogs, I know you hate this procedure, mm-hmm. Dr. Roger. For little dogs, 50 pounds and under... Um, and cats, I've actually done it on too, and um, and they did well. Um, and also, if money's an issue, and it's not like I said, if it's a fifty pound underdog, I'd rather have that surgery than no surgery because you know my my surgery was like twelve hundred mm-hmm. versus twenty five hundred. You know, so most people now if they had a huge dog, I would say you're not a candidate for the twelve hundred dollars surgery. You just can't because I'm not going to waste twelve hundred dollars of yours. It's just a waste. Mm-hmm. But um, I have had some luck with it. Um, but it's also very few little dogs that do tear their ACL. It's usually a big dog disease, unfortunately. So here's this big dog disease with a little dog procedure, <laughs> you know, and that's why it didn't really, that's why it's not done all that much. Now that we have the tightrope and the TTA and the TPLO, those are kind of the more main ones that everybody seems, seems to do for a reason. True. And, 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 you know, the, with the 250, pe- te- fi- the 250 tensile strength, Suture, you're talking about some serious stabilization, um, even with like a pit bull that can put a ton of force across that that joint. Um, and when you feel it, it literally feels like a, a little thin shoelace. But it's super high tech stuff. It costs three hundred ninety nine dollars a strand, and it's fastened with t- little titanium buttons. Um, and it's you you feel this thing, and you think of like a Superman hair. You know, like how does this thing provide 250 pounds of tensile strength? It's so it's this polymer that's extremely strong and it also is physiologically adaptable. So you rarely get reactivity and it's a material that's commonly used in rotator cuff repairs in people, actually. So the company Arthrex that makes it does a lot of human stuff. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, it's really, really, really neat stuff. So, um, you know, I, I have a, you know, some some. some pretty significant opinions about the you know the the bone cutting procedures 
I don't know if we're ready for the opinion part yet. <laughs> oh, I think this whole thing's been an opinion part, but <laughs> what's that? But but I know I know that you're not loving the bone cutting procedures. Well, when I was doing the tightrope course uh, to learn the procedure back in 2009, because I was doing the lateral fabellar fishing line, and what I did to overcome some of the challenges for that that you were discussing with tearing the suture or stretching the suture, I would put three of them in. <laughs> yeah, I, I and, did two yeah. actually. And, so yeah, yeah, no, I feel you. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, and, and for the big dogs, I wouldn't use the 80 pound test. I used the 120 pound test. And, uh-huh. you know, so, so I, I had decent results, I'd say, but, um, certainly they were underwhelming at times and, and, and a change was definitely needed. And so I did try to get those bigger dogs out the door to the, to the, at the time TPLO that was right around when TTA was coming around. Um, but when I was taking the course, I was the, the, they were all board certified surgeons that were, you know, teaching us, uh, general practitioners how to do this procedure. And what really shocked me was they presented us with a study. And the study showed clinical results. It's like a thousand dog study of dogs that underwent um, lateral lateral stabilization, which tightrope is a variation of that. So we're going to throw that in there with lateral fabellar suture. We're going to compare that to the bone cutting procedure. So by this time, enough TTAs were out there that we could compare. And the TPLO. And comparatively there was a 5.5% higher complication rate with TTA and TPLO as compared to the lateral stabilization techniques, whether it be lateral fabella or tightrope. And when you have a, cu- a bone cutting and plating procedure and that plate fails or you get a nasty infection, you might have one shot at fixing this and getting it right. And I've seen dogs lose their limbs over it. So limb-threatening complications at times in a 55 percent higher complication rate prognosis good to uh, good to excellent this really shocked me prognosis good to excellent was four percent more common in lateral stabilization techniques than the bone cutting ones so i raised my hand to all the boarded surgeons (laughs) and i said okay so if complication rate is higher with the bone cutting procedures some of which are limb threatening you get one shot at getting right why the heck would you do them if clinical efficacy is 4, 4% better on average? And they said, well, that's a good question. And they said, because theoretically, theoretically, they should be the more uh, optimal procedures as far as clinical outcomes. I wonder how much is um, attributed to lack of appropriate post-surgical care, like the owners not keeping them confined. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which... It is hard, and I always tell people, I'm like, guys, after you've done any procedure, TPLO, TTA, whatever, you thought paying twenty-five dollars to $3,000 was painful. No, no. The painful part is the eight weeks of keeping your dog confined. Yeah. <laughs> I have people who are like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I had no idea how long eight weeks could be. And so, and I have dogs who jump over the baby gate, bust through the barrier. They're supposed to, you know, not be running around. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder how many of those complications are related to dogs who do these stupid things when you're trying to keep them confined, too. Sure. Well, poor compliance, whether it's dog-related or person-related, it's going to happen. So if there is a procedure that's going to make up for that lack of compliance, even if it is playing a role, you have to take a good look at considering it, right? Yeah. I mean, because people are going to not comply. It's going to happen, you know? And if it's all part of the, I don't know, it's all part of the collective cases that some of them, yeah, they're good, there's going to be failure of, of compliance. But I have a more cynical outlook, Um 
back to your cynical. Here's what I think. <laughs> Tightrope. Six case learning curve. And you do six, you cut six of them, you're ready to go off on your own. TTA, 25 case learning curve. TPLO, 50. Before you should be doing them on your own. Let's say should. Well, I'm like, yeah, a lot of people aren't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so when is a practitioner going to have the time and the available expertise to do 50 cases of TPLO? A general practitioner is just not going to do that. Not going to mm-hmm. happen. Who's going to do that? A resident. Yeah. A in a teaching hospital. Yeah. Right? Yeah. TTA, 25 case learning curve. Still, a general practitioner is not going to be able to cut 25 of these with help before doing it on his own or her own. So I think the boarded surgeons recommend the bone cutting procedures because by and large, they're the only ones doing it. Right? Most of us are not going there. I don't want a limb-threatening complication on my hands, nor am I going to take the time away from my general practice to learn these things when I have such good clinical outcomes with the tightrope. Well, yeah, and you have a way that works for you, so why would you get a new one? Yeah. And, and, and here's where I'm, I'm unique, Karen, and, and I discussed this with you a little bit before. I see the clinical outcomes of both because I do have people that come, come in with the preconceived notion that they have to do a bone-cutting procedure, and I'm going to respect that. Like a TPLO. That. Yeah. TPLO. So TTAs are more popular in my area. We don't like TPAs. Really? We don't like TPAs. Because huh. around here, if you do a TTA, people are like, the specialists are like, really? Who did that? It's like newsworthy. <laughs> yeah. So maybe it's like East Coast elitist thing. I don't know. But I don't know. <laughs> we, don't like, we don't like TPLOs. We're more into the TTAs. Did you ever see the TPLO saw? You, you see this happen sometimes. You're just kind of, if you see my hands, you're, they're uh-huh. kind of boring down and go, you know, and then all of a sudden, yeah. it's like, and it kind of get, gets away from them. Kind of like... Oh. Uh, Kind of like a, like a belt sander, you know, on a floor. Oh. <laughs> it kind of flies off on you. Um, oh, that's why the, the boarded surgeon that I know really well is a good friend of mine. He transitioned to TTA. He just said it's easier. But at any rate, I do have these people coming in. And if they're coming in already saying to me, I want the bone cutting procedure, I'm not going to argue and try to convince them otherwise. I'm going to say, no problem. I can arrange that for you. I have a board certified surgeon that comes to my clinic and we'll do TTAs there. And so I see the, the short-term and long-term clinical outcomes of both via my friend, Dr. Jeff Christensen, who you've, you've met and talked to. Yeah, right? even on the show, on actually, the show, yeah. yeah. Um, and I see the clinical outcomes of mine and Dr. Fogelberg, who's also doing the tightrope. Virtually comparable. And this is, this is a paradigm that we've had going on for many years. So we've got a nice body of cases. You know, so I think it's me personally. And I said this actually Dr. Jeff. I said, well, tell you what. I think this is a way to keep your little niche, you know, your boarded surgeons, you know. General practitioners are per- perfectly capable of doing the lateral fixation techniques, and you know that. And, but you know most of us are not going to go down the path of the bone-cutting procedures, so that's how you keep your little niche and keep us referring to you. I'm like, that's my own personal theory. <laughs> You're trying to differentiate <laughs> yourselves from little old us. Um, thoughts on that? Um, well, yeah, I mean, well, also to do a TPLO, um, so it was created by this guy named Slocum, and it's like Slocum Enterprises who... By the way, a general practitioner. Yeah, He was yeah. a boarded surgeon, and he was a mechanical engineer undergrad. Right, and so that, that's why it's such this crazy alternative forces type theory. Anyway, so he has since passed, but I don't know if the rules have changed now, but when he was alive, it was illegal to do a TPLO mm-hmm. unless you took paid for 
and took his course and were TPLO certified. And so it wasn't like, hey, I learned this cool procedure. Come over, my friend, and we'll learn how to do, you know, I'll show you how. Like if you were like if you knew a procedure and I was going to come over and you're going to show me how that would be like violating their policy. Everybody who did the procedure had to go and officially take the class and the lab and everything. So that kind of limited who all was doing TPLO too. Now, I don't know if since he's deceased, if, you know, if the rules have opened up because some people do them, but this is also very interesting and weird because in most medicine things, you discover a new procedure. It's for the common good. It's for the greater good. And so you just show everybody and, you know, help, help people, help animals, whatever it is. And that's why it was so odd that this was actually a profit making yeah. endeavor. It was the TPLO. I mean, it was, it yeah. Was, it was, so patents generally run 17 years. It could still be under patent, uh, it's you know, getting up there though, because it was it, yeah, it was yeah, early two thousands, mm-hmm. and also all the plating for it and the screws and everything you needed, you had to buy from his company as well. Right, yeah. So, mm-hmm. so it was cricket or genius, depending on how you look at it. A little of both, um, probably, you know. Yeah, because my um, our professors in school, as we learned about this procedure, were like, oh, and you know, and, and you have to take his class, and it's all about Slocum Enterprises, and I'm like. Sounds pretty damn genius to me. So maybe I'm just mad I didn't think of it. (laughs) Now, there are some caveats. There are some caveats where I'm actually trying to get them to use Dr. Christensen for his TTA. Again, I'm not crazy about the TPLF. I'm going to pick a bone cutting procedure. I like the TTA. I find it's quicker. It's less invasive. You're not not cutting such a huge hunk of bone with that one. Um, But there is is the caveat. So um, in some cases... I will measure their tibial plateau. Mm-hmm. And um, when I see plateaus over 30 degrees, um, those cases, I'm, that's going to constantly be fighting my suture. The suture is not going to tear and it's not going to stretch, but I think it's going to be a less comfortable limb than if they go with a TTA. So there are occasions where, you know, I'll put them in um, that 90 degree flexion of the ankle and the, and the knee and then take, take the actual measurements because um, you could you could kind of eyeball them and know, whoa, that looks pretty steep to me. Let me measure that. And if it's north of 30 degrees, I'm, you know, some of them are like 35 degrees. That's a no-brainer. That to me, I'm, you know, we really should level this thing out, you know. But those are few and far between. I mostly do these on pit bulls, honestly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and <laughs> speaking of pit bulls, it's so funny. Because um, that's labs and pit bulls, I think, are the two breeds that I see torn ACLs in Agreed. the most. Me too. Um, cause, and if you're a lab pit mix, just forget it because <laughs> <laughs> you're just hosed. It's over. And, just yeah. preemptively get the and, suture. <laughs> like buy pet insurance now before they're bored. Right. But, um, but, um, I have a lot of people ask me too, a lot of these dogs, well, speaking of dogs who are prone. So after they've busted both back legs, I've actually had owners like through tears saying, Oh God, now I have to wait for the front legs. And that's where I get to tell them good news. No, the front legs are elbows. There's no ACL in the front. They only have two. And the owner's like, thank God there's only two. <laughs> because right. they've been through both. So there's some good news I can give you. But um, Yeah, very good news. But yeah, but anyway, um, I don't know how I got off on that tangent. <sighs> anyway, but um, so yeah, so apparently it's very regional of the procedures that people are Seems using, which I find kind of interesting. And it's also kind of trendy. Um, like everything, there's, there's fads mm-hmm. that come and go. And when the new fad comes, everybody has to jump on the bandwagon and do that. And, you know, I mean, these procedures all work. So it's not like, you know, there's one that's a dud that people are still doing. If it was a dud, no one would be doing it. So I agree TPLOs, with that. 
you know, work, tightrope works, TTA works, yeah. lateral familiar works if you're little, um, which yeah. most of these dogs aren't. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but yeah. So anyway, That's I don't know, any point. closing thoughts? C- cynical aside, you're right. Your do- your your doctor's not doing the wrong thing by recommending TPLO, and I don't want to. I don't want to insinuate that. It is a very good procedure. It's a very brilliant procedure. Who would think, hey, let's cut this bone and rotate it and plate it to fix this ligament, this soft tissue structure? Oh, crazy. crazy. Yeah. So, no, it's a brilliant procedure. Um, I think before we part here, I'd like to just touch on back on what you started with, and I'd like to give a quick case example. Rear limb lameness, big dog, think knee first, right, was your – kind of premise Mm -hmm. i wholeheartedly agree with you and here's a case in point i saw this poor dog yellow labrador named jason and poor jason had severe 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 horrific horrific just god-awful hip dysplasia and i told his owner you know we'll we'll deal with it when the time comes this dog came into her life at a time where it was too late to deal with growth plates and things like that that we could you know utilize like triple pedic osteotomy and there's another procedure we can Utilized to help re- reduce the impact of hip dysplasia when we recognize it very young. Um, I told her, you know, he's not lame now. Uh, the range of motion is not great, but he's got a good quality of life. We'll deal with the hips when we deal with the hips. Well, a year later, he comes in. He's, like, so debilitated with one knee. Blows out the other one before we have a chance to, p- to repair the one knee. And she goes, what do I do? I have a completely, you know, bilateral rear limb um, crippled dog. So I said, here's what we do. We deal with the knees first. And then we see what we need to do for the hips after we stabilize the knees. Got to deal with the hips first. So that was a progression. We repaired each knee four months apart. And by the, rep- the end of the repair of the second knee, suddenly the dog is regaining muscle. He's walking great. Can you believe we never surgically addressed the hips? We just did things like joint shoes, weight control, um, Adequan injections, a lot of alternative stuff, therapy laser and he lived the rest of his life without having to surgically address those hips. Back to your point, as bad as his hip dysplasia was, it was his knees that really crippled him more than anything. Yeah, and um, and I'm sure the hip dysplasia didn't help too. And to just kind of dovetail on that, a lot of people say that the hips and knees are kind of related where if you've got a jacked up hip, it... it you walk, you know, like with us, like when I hurt my ankle, I walk weird, then my knee hurts, you know what I mean? Because just walking weird. So um, if your hips are sore, you, it, it can actually um, put more tension on the knee just by the way that they're trying to compensate for their hips, too. Mm-hmm. So um, even if you might have an okay ligament in the beginning, if your hips are real bad and you're just, you know, kind of trying to compensate for that, I've seen a lot of these dogs. And then once the cruciate busts, then the whole legs, like you said, is just toast. I mean, yeah. um I see a lot of dogs who actually tear both ligaments at once and they present like a back dog yeah. even where yeah. we'll have a dog who isn't walking on his back legs at all. And we're like, Oh my God, he's paralyzed. You know, we're like, check, but like, well, neurologically he's okay. What's up. And more often than not, it's a bilateral or double cruciate tear, which really sucks for the owner and the dog. But, um, something to think about too, just throwing that out there. So definitely. Um, and I got I did an article some time ago, and I don't even know if I could dig it up at this point, but um, it's it's actually called rear limb name rear limb lameness in a big dog, not hips. Think knees first, and it, mm-hmm. that, that's you'll talk to any veterinarian, and they'll they'll most will agree with that. So always look at the knees first. Keep an eye out for lameness after chasing squirrels, and know you might be spending some money. Any final thoughts you want to throw in there, Karen? 
Uh, no, I think we covered it pretty good. And um, this is a really, really deep topic. We could talk about it for hours, but we just kind of wanted to glaze the surface and just kind of maybe get people's wheels turning. But our articles are going to be a little bit more in-depth if you want to get more juice about all these different procedures. Yep, so have a look. I'll have those links available on our show page. And uh, that, that'll post at both at iTunes and also Blog Talk Radio. So th- good night, everyone. It's really nice to uh, oh talk to you again and talk to listeners and, and be listened to. We hope. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> talk to you next time, hopefully in a more timely fashion. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.